Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the final episode of season one of How Do You Do? How Do You Do, Flo? I'm good. It's sad. It is sad. It's It's, it's been a great run. I hope you've all enjoyed it. Or if you're just joining this one for the first time, then welcome. (laughs) You're too late. It's already happened. But how are you doing? How's your week been? My week has been good. I've been writing documentary ideas about the police, so it's all been quite serious. I'm quite excited to talk to someone. Can you make the police funny? I don't think they like it so much. (laughs) They don't love that. God, police, chill. (laughs) So I'm quite excited to um, come here and chat to someone cool from the music industry. Yeah, for sure. A change of place. How do you do? How was your week? Yeah, good. I did something very cool. Yes, you did do something very cool. (laughs) I went to the Venice Film Festival and interviewed John Malkovich. We're very excited about it. I've been talking about it like it's my story. (laughs) I have nothing to do with it. It can be your story. (laughs) He was very cool. He's he's a great guy. Shout out to John Malkovich. Hey, John Malkovich, if you're listening. Which he definitely is. Hello. (laughs) I hear it's his favourite podcast. Oh, I think so too. (laughs) Uh, So this week we are talking to the wonderful Jamie Nelson, who's head of A&R at BMG. Jamie has worked with Kylie Minogue plus some other huge names. So we hope you enjoy it and we'll catch you at the end. Bye. Hi, Jamie. Hello there. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. (laughs) So first question for you, Jamie. What do you do? So my job is I'm an A&R person for BMG. And as an A&R person your job essentially is to try and find artists sign them to the label oversee their recording and generally hopefully have some success for your artists nice and how do you do what you do the focus is music trying to find music that you connect with and understand and feel that you can help and support with um and spending a lot of time developing and helping them where they need it all artists need different elements that to support what they do so that's at the core of what we do, really. And what makes you excited to go to work in the morning? It's just a myriad of different things. Every artist is different. And the the idea that you can work with different projects and different types of things and work with directly with musicians, which is incredible. Yeah. Most A&R people do my job are sort of failed musicians to some extent. So the idea of being able to get that close to projects is really exciting. It's a great thing to be that close to music, you know. And is that kind of your story, that your backstory that you were in doing music for yeah, a while. Yeah, pretty typically, actually. You'd be surprised. <laughs> a lot of people that do my job also um, are musicians in some sense. Mm. But, but yeah, a lot of the time that's the case. <laughs> You've got a great radio voice. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, you do. Thank you very much. You sound like the host. <laughs> this is Jamie Nelson's show. <laughs> Have you done a radio show before? No, not oh. the big time. No, you should, you should yeah. look into well, it. Well, we're officially introducing right. Jamie Nelson. <laughs> okay. You'll become my agent. <laughs> I love it. It's a good show. Sorted. Right, over and out. Yeah. <laughs> to the BMG podcast. Yeah. Um, and what does an average day look like for you? It's just such a mixture. It'll be going to a studio. It'll be doing some um, uh, marketing. There'll be marketing meetings. We have planning meetings on our projects. Meeting up with artists to talk about their records that we're making with them. Um, speaking to our business affairs department, helping deal, making sure the deals are going through in the right way. And is it doing a lot of like research and looking for new people coming up? Yeah, and... there's a lot of that. You know, you're speaking a lot to lawyers and managers and different people that are in that sort of area as well. Just trying to f- constantly keep your contact base out there and and find new projects. You know, mm. also the process has changed so much over the years um, because now what we have is 
you know, the nature of uh, social media and all the rest of it, there's a different way of finding music in comparison to when I started. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that old horn. <laughs> <laughs> and when yeah. you're as high, like, as high up as you are in your role, how much are you hands-on kind of like actively looking for stuff or do you get brought stuff by other It's a mixture. Yeah. You, in, in essence, you've got a lot, I've got a contact base of people I've worked with for many years now, mm. so they all bring things into me. Yeah. People that we work with do the same. But also as well, you stumble across something or you'll see something out on online or you'll see a, an artist on TV that you've not considered or yeah. whatever. Or it'll be a myriad of different things from all random places. You've worked with some amazing artists. So you worked with Lily Allen, you've worked with Jake Berg, mm. you co-signed Kylie Minogue, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute because mm-hmm. I'm very excited to chat about that. Um, but where did your passion for music come from? Through playing, loving playing, loving and um, badly writing really awful <laughs> songs. Um, you know, I was brought up on in, in, with soul music. Mm. So a lot of Bobby Womack and Donny Hathaway, things like that. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, the passion of music's come, come from there, really. Mm. And as I've got older, you find yourself experienced and enjoying all sorts of music. You know, I work mm. my roster now is is so diverse. You know, we, we work on an absolute huge array of different projects across all genres, you know, which I love, you know. Mm. So quite exciting. We had a first uh, UK a classical record of last year. We've added Jones and Muscle Watson, which is something I'd never have imagined working on like 20, 25 years ago. I would yeah. have seen bonkers, but it's fun to do that. It's fun to go and do something totally different, you know. Yeah. It's nice to be able to say that you still can work on such a variety of music rather than just yeah. one subset. They all need totally different support, different help in different ways. Mm. And some projects, you know, when I think to that, all the way to Richard Hawley, which is, again, so di- different. <laughs> so she totally loves Richard different, Hawley. You know? Do you? He's amazing. <laughs> For the listener. He's an, just ar- <laughs> he's an ama- amazing artist and we're very proud and lucky to have him on a label. So when you were... Making music, writing music, what kind of genre, what kind of stuff were you writing? Just really, really nightmare pop music. Oh, wow. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. It's like In a band really or? bad, Yeah, really bad version, like Duran Duran or something, you know. <laughs> but, what was your get-ups like? How well, you actually, it was, you wouldn't remember this band because you, you were both too young, but there was a band called uh, Kikri on the Coconuts. And we were, so, we were so we were so uncreative. Yeah, our band name was Pineapple Party. So it gives you an idea of <laughs> how appalling that was. You know, you can only begin to imagine it. So, uh, so how did you turn that kind of passion for music into a career in the industry? When did you realise that that was an option? Well, I realised. I went. I remember I was in a band. The band, the band sort of evolved from that, and we did get a bit better eventually. And, and <laughs> we, a few local producers were interested in helping us, which they did. And a few labels were interested for a bit, you know. And that process of working with producers then led me to one of them saying, oh, you seem to be interested in the technical side. Mm. Do you know, do you, do you fancy helping me on a session? So I remember there was a band from the 80s, again, that you won't remember, a band called Sad Cafe. I remember starting on a session with that, with Queen next door. That was always a big deal, you know. Queen mm. in the wow. studio too. And I was 16 years old, oh, making cool. tea <laughs> and just hanging there. And I did that for a little bit and that gave me some experience. And then that yeah. get, got me the opportunity to go and work in a recording studio, you know. But um, it never, for me, felt like there was any other option for me. I remember that uh, my um, careers officer sitting me down and asking me about what I'd like to do, and I said I want to do music. And he said to me at the time, "There's actually, you've got no chance. <laughs> Far too many people want to do it, and you should think of another career. I can get you into the city as a, as a you know, intern or whatever. But, yeah, no way. It wasn't, wasn't for me, so... Yeah. And um, when did you realise you were able to spot musical talent? I think, I don't think I ever thought I can spot it. It wasn't really like that. It's just that I was keen to help find it and be near it. And mm. from working in the studio, that helped me get closer and understand music and artists. 
And then I started to hate being inside, really hated the process of being in very confined basement studios, which is what, where I was working. And I felt also that the, all of the guys and people that were coming into the studio that were having the most fun seemed to be people that were doing more A&R. They seemed to be connected closer to the artists and all mm. the rest of it. So that made me think, I said, I'd like to do that. Mm. And then just started to try and go to see as many shows as I can and try to get as close to the A&R element as I could. So mm. that's where that started. So it's kind of about following the fun. Well, no, it's not just following the fun, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'd, st- I'd had five or six years at that point of working in studios. Mm-hmm. I got to know quite a lot of A&R people. I was in going to see lots of shows. So slowly but surely, I was probably, without realising it, becoming in, you know, around new music and mm-hmm. people would help. There's a great guy at the time called Mike Eder, who works for Virgin, who was somebody that I got to know and he was incredibly supportive and helpful. I think he, he thought I could do it and and so it it helped me in terms of, tipping me off for jobs and stuff that was coming up. So Mm. that was very helpful Mm. at the time. So people must have kind of like quite trusted your taste in new bands and stuff like that. You say you didn't really have a, you didn't think you had a skill in it, but people must have seen something in you. uh, I don't know. I think that they, people, when you're trying to get in, they want people, you're looking for people that have got enthusiasm. Mm. The process when you first start scouting is more about an information source. You're not really necessarily imagining that they're going to bring you the next big thing tomorrow but what you're looking for is somebody who's going to bring you in all of the information what Mm. are all the other labels looking at signing can that person give you that information Um, and that's over a period of time of doing that and helping on that side is that I think your taste evolves and your knowledge and and awareness of what that job and what the job is becomes more focused I guess Mm. and is there an element of picking up trends that are going on in the music industry and kind of seeing if you can predict what like the next thing might be there is all of that of course I mean the one thing I would say is that used to be way more prevalent in the past because it was an instinctive thing there was a lot more genre based music I guess whereas I think with streaming and all the rest of it, music is definitely more linear, I'd say, and has become not more homogenized because it sounds negative. It's just more analytical. People mm. are looking at numbers and and those elements of it, maybe more so than instinctively. Yeah, if that makes sense, it yeah, has an impact yeah, sure. on the way that people look at things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and what, what would you say the main skills you need are for NR? More than anything else, great people skills. You know, at the at the end of the day, your job is to convince artists to sign to you, which involves you being connected to people. Mm. You've got to navigate your way for a lot of different characters within the label. Yeah, you need very good relationships with lawyers and managers and all those sort of people. So, I think unless you've got a natural social element to how you are as a person, I think it's probably it might not necessarily be the right thing for you. I'm sure, there's. Maybe odd occasions where that's not the case, but generally I would say that's the mm. case. No, but it's a very kind of like hands-on kind of people job. So that's... Yeah, it's just chatting a lot. You know, yeah. the process is what we're doing is convincing, chatting, encouraging. Yeah, that's what we do. Mm. And following on from that slightly, so from the outside, I think to someone maybe trying to break into the music industry, it can seem quite intimidating. Mm. What would be your kind of advice for someone who's just starting out, really keen to get involved? Well, I think probably now more than ever, you've got more and more access to the process of getting close to music Mm. because you don't necessarily need to work in a record company to be close to music. You can run your own night out of a pub in wherever you want to go and do that from or you can manage your friend who happens to be, you know, you can support and help music in all manner of ways. Mm. A lot of artists are developing their careers directly through streaming now. And Mm -hmm. and so, again, you know, for, for people that are starting out, that doesn't necessarily need to start at your working at Universal Records. It mm. can start from your friend who you think is really talented 
is keen to start putting his music up online and it can be as simple as that. I was thinking about working at a when we were starting this podcast and I was thinking the kind of skills you would need to have. And I was thinking you must have quite a good level of self-belief to bring someone forward and say, mm. like, oh, I think they're going to make it in the industry. Yeah. Do you ever experience self-doubt and how do you deal with that? That's a great question. I think everyone's has that self-doubt mm. all of the time. I think mm. A&R people constantly have that self-doubt. Yeah. There's that constant check-in, but it's a really odd, bizarre mixture. I'm yet to find an A&R person, certainly successful, that doesn't have conviction. Yeah. Often there is definitely a slight cockiness, I would say, in terms of the mentality. Because I think partly because it's born out of the process of doing lots of A&R meetings where you sit with artists, so you get very comfortable with that ongoing element of conversational stuff and because you're convincing a lot it just becomes part of the way that you think mm. the other element of it is that you are on the sharp end of it and when things are not going well that's quite harsh as well so doubt can then creep in as well so it's just human stuff really yeah. mm. and following on from that when you have to kind of make that decision to sign someone how do you how do you make that decision is there a process you kind of touched on it earlier mm. like numbers and has that changed more recently with social it's media? It's sort of different with different artists. Right. Because if you've got a brand new artist and they're totally just starting out, that does become a pure conviction thing because mm. you're really basing your thinking really on the the possibilities as opposed to any of the reality of what's in front of you. Mm. If you're making a deal on projects that have got history, for example, then you can look at all sorts of things from ticket sales to their previous record sales, to their streaming numbers, to their... You know, there's all those things, sort mm. of elements and, of course, the music. So yeah. there's lots in that situation to um, base your decisions on, you know. Mm -hmm. It's very different every time. Every decision you make now, I think, is 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 totally individual. Mm. Every, every single decision on an A&R level because the situation with everyone's always very different. Historically, you were trying to take an artist that was unknown and make them successful. Mm. Whereas now that's not always the case. Even artists that have not had any deal in any sense I may well have been streaming they may be out there doing their shows and building up a fan base more than they would have done maybe in the past to some extent so mm. yeah there's definitely more there to work from you know yeah and so with today in I work in TV people kind of making those leaps whether to green light a TV show in drama might be different for documentaries um, a lot of it is like based on book adaptations mm. because it's kind of where the money is yeah, and, sure. you, and you have those numbers in front of yeah. you already. You already know that yeah. authors have these huge followings mm -hmm. and you know that you're going to get the views if mm. people are already familiar with the stories. So it's you've got that kind of slightly, I don't want to say jarring, but it's harder to then make that leap into a project that's completely brand new, mm. unknown author, unknown mm. writer, unknown everything, because mm. you just don't know how it's going to go down. That's true. Mm. I mean, on a really personal level and, and a selfish level, I guess, I love the process of having a roster of different projects that are all at different points in their careers. Yeah. Because it's really satisfying working on projects on experienced artists that have been through, uh, had a whole career before you you start working with them. They're, mm. they're so, they're well up to speed. They're well versed in the whole process. Yeah. And your interactions with them they appreciate your experience in that situation. Mm. And um, so I love that. And also at the same time, love those process when you're working with something which is totally brand new and they're very excitable about what's in front of them. Yeah. And, it, and it becomes a totally different process, but equally enjoyable, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to hear you being quite positive about that kind of side of it because I work in documentary. You'll think about like a way of picking a presenter and it'll mm. be all about the numbers. So it's right. like not the person who's maybe necessarily right for it, but someone who's got a huge following on Instagram. Mm. 
And maybe there is something good in it because you're taking it to an audience. But then also there is the sad side of kind of, it, it's just a, it's a very narrow way of picking someone. So it's nice to hear you. Yeah, I mean, my, I think like my overriding view on it is that if yeah. you've developed a career as, mm. as an artist in music and you've found an audience, that's not an easy thing to do. True. And yeah. you've managed to develop a career over a period of time. It's phenomenal to, to, to do that. Mm. Um, for us to pick an artist and work with an artist when they've reached that point in their career, and you can look at it and think, well, how can we add some different values, some stuff that's not necessarily there at the moment? Mm. That's really great. And when you come out of those projects and they're really appreciative of the work that you have put in as a company, yeah. that's a really positive place to be. So, mm. yeah, I like that equally, definitely. Yeah. How do you differentiate something that maybe is just your own personal taste to something that's going to work well for the label? I mean, obviously, you're this back of your head subconsciously, you're thinking about, well, what's going to be commercial? I guess that's an element of it. Yeah. But it's difficult to work on projects that you don't enjoy. And I've made a lot of pop projects as well in mm. the past, you know, yeah. that maybe some people might be sniffy about certain projects. But I've always loved... I'm from Essex, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I've been across all types of pop music and soul music. So for me, all music's really about quality of music and making music that's this interesting in its own genre. That's mm. always what I've enjoyed. Mm. The very best of pop music's amazing. Mm, very yeah, best sure. of classical's amazing. The very yeah. best of rock music's amazing. So, But you've got to have a good knowledge of those genres to be able to make that judgment. Um, I try generally to try and think more across everything, actually, I think. Mm. Everyone's got a different approach to the way that they work. Mm. I've kind of taken a more sort of broader view, I guess, that it's the quality within the genres that I'm more interested in, to be honest with you. Mm. And do you ever see an artist, like a maybe a pop artist, and be like, oh, they might fly really well in like another genre as well? Um, I don't know if I thought like that in terms of genre. No, not what I can think of. I think it, I do sometimes look at an artist at some point and think, oh, it'd be very interesting to put them with that producer or with mm. that writer mm. who does something slightly different or something that's, that will bring a totally different element within the production could be really interesting. Mm. Um, that part of it is a big part of our uh, job, actually, in supporting that side of it. And that can have quite an impact in terms of the way that the music that ends up sounding, you know. So. Yeah. Um, we've spoken a bit before on this podcast about imposter syndrome and especially within the creative mm. industry, you can feel that quite a lot yeah. um, depending on different industries and jobs. You've worked with some huge artists like mm -hmm. Kylie Minogue. Have you ever had to kind of manage that imposter syndrome when you've been what, dealing with... What, feeling that I'm not capable of... Yeah, when, or... you, when you're meeting someone so big like Kylie, yeah. our friend Kylie, um, <laughs> first name basis, do you ever kind of get that sense of, oh my goodness, oh, it's this overwhelming. Is huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do actually. Uh, certainly, only at the beginning, it lasts like about five seconds. Because, <laughs> like, when you've been doing it for a period of time, you realize that actually, regardless of success, people are just normal people. Yeah. And they've got the same insecurities that we all have. And, you know, they're brilliant in some elements and areas and, and not, not so good in others. So, yeah, that's but true. But Kylie was definitely, I remember the first time we met Kylie, I remember thinking, <laughs> well, this is, you know, it's she's an icon, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. And this was, 1998 or something. Can you remember the first time you met someone you were really, you really respected or really admired in the industry? Lots of times, yeah. you know. I mean, we're so lucky in, as a business, not just on the artist side, mm. but on the songwriting side, the producer side. Yeah. The first time I met Greg Kirsten, who's an amazing songwriter, who's worked with yeah. Sia and Adele, and, and he did Kylie for us and, and yeah. Lily Allen for us. Particularly on that production and writer side, I kind of get overwhelmed listening to the talent and amazing ability that certain people have because <laughs> mm. what they do is really transformative for artists and stuff so 
Um, certainly there's there's a lot on that area. There's a few people I've been lucky to, to work with on the executive side, people like uh, Tony Wadsworth and Keith Rosencroft and people like that have been absolutely phenomenal in terms of the you know, their their knowledge and ability and the way that they hold themselves and their ability to communicate, not just mm. with artists, but with people generally. That stuff is kind of inspiring, you know, so I've been very lucky there. Mm-hmm. And do you ever get starstruck or do you just always manage to keep your cool? Because I, I, so the other day I was having lunch at the same table as Louis Thoreau. I've told everyone I've met for the past two weeks. I was eating, he was eating. And I looked up and it was him. And I just, I couldn't help myself. I went, oh my God, really loudly. And then he just looked at me and he just said, yes. <laughs> and then he carried on eating. That's brilliant. It was the most Louis Theroux thing ever. And I thought I got quite good now that I work in TV. Oh, but no, turns out, no, you, you got, on the bump. You got some that so you just even then. Yeah. yeah. Patty met um, John Markovich this week. No, that's so a pretty we... cool one. I've got to say, my one's really ridiculous. Bearing in mind, we've met a lot of successful mm. artists over the years, but for some reason, Martin Kemp came in for me. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was a Did kind of overwhelming. Like, old song in your head. Yeah, I don't know what was going on, but I was like, yeah, I was all yeah. <laughs> when Star-struck, tongue-tied, you know. When I was a kid, I was in a TV show with Martin Kemp where he played my dad. Fun fact. <gasps> that is really? a really fun fact. Yeah. Obviously, like the internet has had a huge impact on the music industry. People like Chance the Rapper going mm-hmm. completely independent. How has your role changed in a post-Spotify world? The way that you analyze music, you know, the, the, and also in the nature of the way that we as a company interact with the artists that we work with because you have to respect that artists now have way more choices than they would have had when I started. Mm. They've got access to get to the market in which they didn't have that access before. They had to come via record companies to get to the market, essentially, whereas that's not really the case anymore. And that means there's been a huge shift in terms of the control that artists have and the service that they demand from us. You know, they expect control or ownership, as they should do, you know. So adapting to that part is definitely an ongoing focus because we want to work with the best and we want to work with people that are smart enough to do make all of the right decisions and make the best music and be the best artist. So that has an impact on all of our thinking, because unless we can do all of the service part right, and we can give the artists the genuine support they need in the right way, they're not going to want to sign with us. Mm -hmm. So that's had an impact. The way that you find artists had an impact, the way that you consider breaking your artists has an impact now. In what way? You know, historically, you would start the focus that would always be tastemakers. It would be key individual journalists that if two or three key journalists mention a certain artist and one or two key radio stations play a certain artist, then you were halfway there to then getting your mm. project rolling. They mm. were there. You almost felt it very, very quickly. Whereas now the process can be way slower. It can still be really quick, but generally speaking, it tends to be slower. There's a lot more noise out there. There's more mm. artists making music. So to try and make a dent in that and have people notice is that much harder than it would have been before, you know. Mm. And when did you first kind of feel that change? Because I remember when I was, how old was I, like 15, when MySpace was a big thing. Mm. And I remember people suddenly like, the way people were talking about music completely changed. So my friends, it felt like they owned artists in a way. Like my friends would come in and be like, I've got this thing that I need to show you. And it was a different ownership of music. And I wonder like when that change happened for you. (laughs) Well, it's ridiculous. Often the way Mm. with Lily, Alan, um, we signed her as Mm. we signed her to our label and we started working with her 
she pretty much didn't need, if I'm honest with you, a mm. tremendous amount of support in terms of because she was very focused and understood what she wanted and whatever. So very quickly, she started posting music up on MySpace yeah. without mm. asking. It's just <laughs> it was posted up on MySpace and rightly so. And very quickly, you start, people would come to us asking about Lily. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, we broke, really broke Lily off the back of MySpace. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Murray that did the press came in to see me and he said, do we have an artist called Lily Allen on the label? And I said, uh, yeah, we do. Why do you ask? And he said, oh, you know, Observer on Sunday magazine, um, want to put it on the front cover. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so that, that scene, yeah. that was the first time I'd gone, that's crazy. That yeah. would never have happened before because yeah. of nothing to do of anything that we'd done. It was just from her posting her music, you know, so mm. it was quite interesting that. Uh, it just shows like your own self-promotion and your own platforming can go so far, can't it? And that's where social media has really changed things. It's great, though. I mean, it just means if you're creative and you're brilliant at what you do, that you've got access and you can be in control of it and, mm. and all the rest of it. Not just even on the music side. You see it with artists. Great artists also have got, I know a lot of them have a very good awareness of how they want to be perceived via their social media platforms, etc. So, And... Do you think there is any kind of negatives in that? Obviously, it's like it does do a great thing for creativity because people can put their own things out there themselves, like you were saying. But do you think there is any negative side to it, to creativity? So I was reading this article recently that was saying that the intros to songs in the 80s were on average, they were 20 seconds long. Mm. But now they've cut down to five seconds because people on generally, they'll listen to five seconds of a song. If they don't like it, they'll skip to the next one. Mm. And that has kind of happened because of Spotify and things like yeah. that. And do you think there are any other negatives? It is a negative, that, isn't it? It's, in all honesty. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm aware of it. You know, it's something that but we then are I, aware But then I thought I'd, I'd do it as well. And then I was um, catching myself today, skipping through um, like my Spotify discovery for you. I give it five seconds, and then if I don't like it, I skip to the next one. I mean, I guess probably as much as anything else, a reflection of, you know, like people demand immediacy across everything, mm. don't they? You yeah, know, true. we're so challenged in terms of our time. And so people, they're looking for stim to be stimulated immediately and you know it's just the way that it is it's not it's kind of pointless even worrying about it I guess because it's the nature of all stuff it just Mm. evolves and good or bad I mean I I would argue it was great when we didn't have mobile phones you know (laughs) people talk more you know but it's not going to nothing's going to change that's the natural evolution and that's the way life is the downside I would argue is that we see way less alternative music in the way that I might perceive it you know it's harder for those projects that are kind of more alternative I guess for them to get through into that other bit which is a shame you know so hopefully over time that sort of comes around often music has been cyclical it sort of it comes back around again Um, I'm hopeful that that's the case you know Mm, yeah and I keep comparing it to TV because that's my reference point but you know when you end up scrolling on Netflix and you're mm. like I've got so much I can watch but yeah. I just can't and you're can't not decide. watching nothing mm. yeah. yeah but sometimes I realised this today on Spotify I was looking through my Spotify and I was like oh my gosh I, I don't know what I want mm. to listen to mm. I've been given a plethora of choice mm. and I can't land on something Right. and it is that same thing like yeah. we do just have too much choice you know what if you bought yeah. an album like the yeah. last album I thought because I had to I bought um, Lemonade but that's only because they forced me to because they didn't put it on Spotify they they the baddies <laughs> Beyonce's not baddie sorry Beyonce and, but then you do listen to the whole album through because you kind of you spent that money and mm. you've paid for it and you feel like it's yours whereas with Spotify it's you're like you could just skip through it and find the one you like mm. and then you take that yeah yeah. and I don't know I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing kind of find that a bit sad really, uh, yeah. you know because people historically would have made pieces of work you know that's the percent that when they're yeah. making that process that people still do but that's that was something, as you say, would have been taken like 
seriously because people were invested in it, you know. Mm. And I noticed, I think, the skip rate when you get a, an album that's posted up on Spotify, when you get further down the order, it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller because people's attention spans small. So Yeah, they're like little flies. They're like <laughs> little flies, exactly. Do you get skip rate numbers on Spotify? Yeah, I think they do. God, that's a brutal number. Yeah. If I was a musician, I wouldn't want to know my skip rate. Would you not? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> right, Just the yeah. completion rate. You're right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For young people who might be thinking that like A&R sounds like an amazing job, what would be the starting point for them if they want to work at BMG, for example? Is there any internships? Well, they, they do or, that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have all of that stuff at BMG. The one thing I'm mindful of is some. I think some, pe- some people can maybe consider the idea of an internship at a company the starting point yeah. if you want to get into the music industry or any industry. I think they think the internship is the starting point. I definitely would stress, obviously, to see people in action focused on developing their career outside of that starting point is really important. So that's what I'm talking about, blogging or the idea that you might set up a night or you're DJing or you're doing various other elements that are connected to music, I think means that you can get a full sense of somebody's passion and the fact that they're really up for it. Yeah. And then also, I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing, but whenever someone applies for a job in our team, the first thing I do is Google them (laughs) to see what they've been up to. But that's funny. It's like people, it's very easy not to consider that when you're Mm. thinking about what you're doing on social media, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you think you're just doing it for your friends. Yeah. And that's, that's, oh, no, no, no. no but I think fun. your passions always show, like, even if you're, it's just your personal Instagram account or something like that, if you love music and you live for music, then your stories are going to be about that. Then yeah. your posts are going to be about that. Mm. And that is going to shine through. It's probably difficult to contrive that all yeah. the time. Do you know what I mean? So that's yeah, that's a good point. Um, so take us back to your career. Mm-hmm. What's been the highlight of your career so far, would you say? Uh, if you had to pick one. It's, it just wouldn't be the thing that you'd imagine. I'll never forget we had um, a guy called Simon Webb that we worked on that we used to be in Blue years ago. <laughs> I, so I know. Simon. I, know I had like, such a crush on be... Simon Webb. Did you? Yeah, oh my God, I just had a flashback of a poster. Did you? <laughs> I have a mug. No, I, I had this, I've, I've got a very competitive nature and um, I went into label where there was, we had all of Blue yeah. and the members of got, Blue got divvied up amongst, you know, the guy that, went to the other label and somebody else within the EMI that got in there first and got Duncan or whatever. Oh, yeah, the so I ended up, I, I ended up, there was options. I, I, I went for Simon and we we worked with him and we did develop this project and it was brilliant. And we smashed it, by the way. We were, you know, it, was, it was the most successful out of all of those uh, projects out of blue. Yeah. And I loved that process of taking something. I loved the, the underdog in that situation was great because yeah. he wasn't yeah. necessarily the core singer. So I was always very proud of it. You know? Oh, I love that. And now and again, I'll get a random <laughs> artist that you would never imagine it. You'll see the thing in, in my office, but they'll always go, I love that record. And it'll come from the most random places, you know. Amazing. Um, obviously, over the years, the Kylie or Lily or different stuff like that was amazing. We've had some great success with those, so that's always great. Mm. But also some of the random things, working with someone like Tina Turner, which I did wow. you know, back in the day with that's a little cool. bit of time with her, and boy, getting a chance to connect with different artists like that it's great <laughs> Tina Turner that's yeah. so oh, cool that's, that is badass we got starstruck by just yeah. hearing Tina Turner <laughs> see that's why we couldn't do this job <laughs> we'd be terrible my, bro- <laughs> my brother's in a band and whenever I, get, I go backstage he's like you have to be cool like please be cool I'm like I'm always cool he's like you're never never cool and then there was one time where he hadn't let me go backstage for a bit and then he was like okay you can come backstage this time and Killer Mike was backstage right. and so I immediately ran over to him and I think I asked to keep his bracelet and he was like oh 
Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you blew no, it straight not, away. Not allowed to go back to Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try and be too cool sometimes and not talk to them, but when you're working with them, and they yeah, don't that doesn't you. work. And then you're just they're being like, rude. They're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm the producer. <laughs> and they're like, but aren't you meant to be directing me? I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. Can you just sit over there? <laughs> um, which artist, past or present, would you have loved to work with? Oh, Bobby Womack. Oh, I love Bobby yeah. Womack. And I had a very random one actually once where I thought it'd be great to have Bobby rock, because he wrote a lot of the early Rolling Stones songs. I thought it'd be amazing. Hey. To, yeah, I thought it'd be great to have him work with Tina Turner. Mm. And I rung some, somebody that I knew in, in America and, and I said, you couldn't get me a number for the Bobby Womack's manager. And he went, I've got it for you. There you go. And he, he gave it to me. And he said, the manager's name's Bobby as well. So I called, called the manager and I got chatting to this guy and I explained that I was looking for songs for, for Tina Turner. And he was really nice and really friendly and all the rest of it. And he was asking me exactly what kind of songs we wanted and this, that and the other. I was explaining. And then as he was talking more and more, I was thinking, I don't know the voice. And it became very apparent that I was actually talking to Bobby, Bobby Womack. And he was a hero of mine. (laughs) So then I had this amazing, I couldn't get off the phone. It was like 40 minutes of him talking about his career and everything else. It was absolutely mad, you know. Oh, wow. So that was cool. That's that's so witty to pretend to be your own manager and say your own name. (laughs) I know. know. (laughs) Oh, yes, I'll just pass you on to my manager, Hattie. Hello, it's Hattie here. (laughs) I'm assuming what happened is the guy got it wrong and he'd written it down. Or whatever. I'm hoping that was the case because otherwise that's bonkers. I think know. it's wonderful. Yeah, oh, it's that's a, but you must have seemed like you were playing it so cool. Like, hi, yeah. Anyway, hi, Bobby. <laughs> it's like he comes back on the phone, but with a moustache, yeah, yeah. with a big like with a that's big a, mat, yeah. and glasses. On. Oh, oh that's There's a sketch show in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what artist makes you excited about music now? Who's yeah working currently? I was at Glastonbury this year seeing Billie Eilish thinking, I love that because it's the conviction of what she's doing and everything. To be that young, to be so aware in terms of what you're doing visually and what you're doing musically and it's progressive Mm. and it's still, at the core of it, it's still insane talent with your Mm. vocal ability and your songwriting. It's brilliant, you know, and it's great to see that you're still seeing artists coming through like that that have the ability to, to resonate on such a global level so quickly. Yeah. So that's really, for me, quite exciting that you can still see projects like that coming through now. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I think she's doing something amazing. I love Billie Eilish. Yeah. It's like with her videos as well. It's yeah. Just everything. It, is, it feels like it is something really it's, different. It's difficult, I think, for artists to have that self-awareness and vision, actually, at such mm. a young age. I think it's incredible, you know. What does the future hold for you? Um, I'd want to see, I mean, obviously we work in an exciting company, I think, at BMG. I think with this very forward thinking in terms of the way that we like to work with projects and artists and, and stuff. So I'm keen to see that evolve. I think where we're at, which is a lot more collaborative, I think, and, you know, in the nature and the way that we work, I think that's going to become more meaningful because it means that we're getting to work with artists uh, uh, in a truer way. You're, you're getting the opportunity to work with them um, in a more collaborative way, which I think is really exciting. Mm. And if you could look back to Jamie when he was in Pineapple Party. Yeah, well remember. <laughs> and uh, give yourself one bit of advice to, about how your career was going to go, what would it be? Well, first of all, I said, don't call your band that. <laughs> that would definitely be the starting point. Um, I think my general feeling was it'll be fine, you'll be fine. Because the problem is, I think when you're very young, you're, you're, when I was certainly anxious, that everything needs to happen immediately, and that's just not the case. So I think in retrospect, I think it will be just certain the, the core of it would have been 
take your time and, mm. and have the confidence to know that you will get there because, you know, all of us evolve as you get older. So No, and things don't happen straight away. That's definitely true. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. That's thank been an amazing you. chat. Um, it's been yeah. a pleasure. It was great you. to talk to you. What a lovely chat with Jamie. Oh, what a nice guy. Yeah, very nice. Very nice, down-to-earth guy. I think we got some really good advice out of that. Yeah, what did you learn? What I loved, actually, something he said towards the end, was talking about internships and how it doesn't start an internship. It starts at a passion. When I was thinking about going to TV, I just thought, oh, God, just get get in, get the internship, mm. get in, get the internship, or get, like, kind of the runner job. Mm. But actually, like, maybe why people aren't picking you up for stuff is because you haven't brought forward your passion or what you're doing on the outside, mm. which you may be doing already, but just not think it's relevant. So I think that was an amazing piece of advice. And his passion for music just shone throughout the whole yeah. thing. Even when he was talking about working with Simon Webb from Blue, he was so lovely about it. And yeah. I think that just shows that he loved his job and it was always going to be what he was working in. Yeah, and I think for anyone listening that does want to get into the music industry, mm. in music more than any other industry, that's really relevant because there's so many things you can be doing, like putting on your own night, doing some DJing, hosting a night where you can just find young bands who are also the same kind of age as you, doesn't matter how big yeah. they are. If you're interested in them, try and host them somewhere at a local pub, see if they've got a spare night on and do a little gig. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has a friend who's in a band, even if you don't like the band that much. Just start and If you don't of... have any friends that are in bands, just go and find some if you do want to get into the music <laughs> industry. Or start a blog. Yeah, start a blog. <laughs> what did you take away from I that? really liked uh, his bit of advice to himself when he was in Pineapple Party. Pineapple, pineapple party, party, which actually, no shade, is a bad band. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite a cool guy. This pineapple party does not go with his vibe. <laughs> maybe not now, but maybe in the 80s. Yeah, maybe. Anything goes in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder heard. what his hair was like. Wasn't born then. <laughs> Should have asked. Um, what I took away was his piece of advice to his younger self when he was in pineapple party was that don't rush things and kind of be a bit patient because nothing's going to come immediately. And I'm really realising that now because I've been in TV in a position that I'm happy in for three years and it just takes time it takes time to learn the craft mm. don't rush because even though you you're probably very switched on and enthusiastic like myself you're not going to become a producer or the director of A&R within a week and these things are just like a patchwork of skills and time so mm. bear with it's going to be fine and that was another piece of advice it's going to be fine yeah it's lovely what's that thing from um <laughs> best exotic marigold hotel Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it is not the end. Hello. Hello. I memorised it from Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. <laughs> the best film that no one talks about. Um, <laughs> a hidden gem, it some is. might say, in IMDb. <laughs> Judy Dench is in it, so don't be so rude. So, listeners, we hoped you enjoyed this episode. Like and subscribe and leave a review and follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at How Do You Do Pod. Also, this is our last episode of the season, so let's let's just take a moment. Maybe just let's meditate together for a second. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed this. We know that we have. We've learned a lot. We've had a great time. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Bye. Bye.